welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. value adds value good morning good afternoon good evening whatever time or day uh, you're taking a listen to this this is part two of our conversation recently with um heather cassiopo and lauren larson we um we really have enjoyed getting to know them we've really enjoyed building a relationship with them the last few weeks uh and months and we're glad to be able to share their stories because they bring a perspective that that we really appreciate and that we want to continue to bring um, this year on the podcast, which is getting outside of our just strict in-classroom teacher perspective and interviewing really anyone who's an educator. And that could be someone who's an educator in a classroom, or someone who's an educator, like uh, an episode coming up, Mark Rivard, who's an artist that's an educator, not in the classroom. So um, we really appreciate the second part of the conversation where we dive a little deeper into you know, what our special population kids are going through, what our teachers are going through here uh, as we go into 2021 and, and continue working to do the best we can for our kids during this time. So we really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, please go follow Heather at Full Sped Ahead. Lauren is at Structured Special Ed. I'm at It's Kyle Krieger and we are at Value as Value and you can find will as at its.will.law.iii but otherwise we hope your 2021 is going great can't wait to meet up and see you soon um hit us up if you need anything we hope you enjoy this episode yeah and and i know from my perspective the the social studies team i work with there's a sixth grade a seventh grade and i'm the eighth grade the three of us and our our administration came out and said when you're doing a video or a lecture, if you're hybrid, 20 minutes of lecture with no more than 20 minutes of additional assignment. And we said, bet, we are going to stick to this. If, if I went over in a lesson video, if I went to 30 minutes, I cut it up into two videos and I gave it across two days. And, and our department, we've, we've been stalwart on that and we have had really good assignment turn in we've had really good participate participation for kids because we we have said we are going to give them a manageable amount of work i do have those times where i feel like man i you know i really should be doing more like i really should be pushing more but but for what and it and it comes then to a question that we wanted to ask the two of you is we know that the kids are there's drama at home you know, it could be Lauren's situation, or it could be a parent that's working two or three jobs and they're not around. There's stress of not having a schedule. There's stress of all the online stuff, not getting socialization. And then you, you top it all off that these kids are getting, a lot of kids are getting services. So the question, I guess I would ask, and maybe it's kind of broad, but like, how do you prioritize 
like the services and the supports that you give students? Because I think for me, that's the hardest question I have in my heart right now going back is like, there's a part of me that's like, I, I don't care about social studies right now. It's so unimportant. World cultures is totally unimportant right now. And I know that I still got to do it, but I guess that's maybe even just a question for me is like, how do you prioritize when you know you've got stuff you got to do, but you have all these other things on the other hand? I mean, to be honest, I don't think there's like a one right answer to this and stuff. Like when parents come to me or teachers come to me and with a similar scenario question and stuff, and I'm like, we need to do what's best for kids. And if this kid cannot keep up and do all of these assignments, then we need to do quality over quantity and stuff. Like we need to meet them. Like I think where they're at socially, emotionally, academically, and make sure they're successful and stuff. And I tell parents this all the time when they're literally, I mean, I have parents calling me crying and they're like, I literally am at the point where I can't fight with my child anymore because it's affecting my household. Like it's affecting our relationship. Like, what do I do? And I said, at this point, you don't, you don't force it. Like you need to do what's best for your child and your family and your relationship with your child. And we'll get there. Like we need to, if if we're not able to do that, then we have bigger fish to fry. Like we need to work on coping skills and emotional regulation. And we need to like get them to be successful with a very little amount and then build off of it. Like if we are asking them to reach for the moon, like we got to make sure that there's a really freaking tall ladder if they can't reach there and stuff like that. So I don't know for me, Every day is different when I talk to families on this topic, because it's like, we have to meet their basic needs and we have to go back to what's going to get them to be successful. We don't want kids to hate school, especially right now when things are so terrible in the world and stuff like that. We want them to feel like school is a safe place and teachers are a good person to go to if they need help and stuff and, Mm -hmm. and their families that they can rely on their families. And it's not just this constant battle of another person telling them like, all of the stuff they need to do and causing conflict in their household and stuff. So I don't know, for me, it might not be the right answer, but that's why I tell parents. Wilkie, do you have something you wanted to say? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. I was going to ask another question, but you can go ahead if you're going to address it. Um, so I, I would totally agree with everything that Lauren just said. Um, you got to work with the parents. You got to work with the kids, figure out what's more important right now. And I would say their social, emotional well-being and their coping skills and everything. Um, it's such a different world right now. It's such a different situation that we're in. And we really need to consider what's best. You know, yes, school is important and it should be a safe place, like Lauren said, but if your child is having huge meltdowns and not eating, not sleeping because they're so stressed, so anxious, whatever it is, like you need to be working with parents, you need to be working with teachers, um, social workers, anybody that can get involved and help the situation. Um, I know I have a family that they said, well, we thought virtual learning would be so different. So we just can't handle that. We don't have the time. We don't have, like, we're both working. We can't be there to support the kid. Um, So I've come up with a plan that he just pops on once a week. Once a week, I just need to say, hi, how you doing? They can be with friends. Um, It's not stressful at all. You know, just pop on and say, hi, that's all I need. Um, And I even have another student whose brother who is in high school is helping support him through this virtual learning and mom's working overnight. So she's sleeping during the day, dad's not around. Um, So the older brother has been the one primarily helping this kid with the school um, and he's nonverbal as well. So it's a whole situation again, like 
you do what you can. You know, email me if you need anything. I'm here. I will keep checking in on you guys. Um, but obviously that's not a priority for you right now. And I'm okay with that. You know, let me ask this question. Um, are you, are either of you, you guys is state still doing state testing this year? I was like, to be honest, I'm not sure they haven't come out and said we're prepping like we are going to, but they haven't officially said one way or the other for us. Same. Yeah, they brought people in during the fall um, to do like the fall testing, but it was like if parents wanted to send their child in for testing, then they could, um, but I don't think it was required. Um, and then I was just told the week before break that I needed to recertify to, tr to um, assess the state test this year. So over the break, I did have to take the certification because it's due, of course, like the, the 5th. Um, of January. So I had to do that. And then I'm getting mixed signals if we're truly following through with that, or if that was just to keep up with the certification of it. Yeah, I know we are. Um, I have mixed emotions about it. Um, very, very mixed emotions. And I'll share it and then I'll get your, your take on it. Um, I believe that we should state test. Um, now, that does not mean that I agree with state testing and standardized testing. But since that is the metric that we use, I think we should. Um, just like I'm still getting evaluated this year through the pandemic. I still get evaluated. I still get scored. I, they still look for those, those keystones that I should be doing in my classroom. And I feel we should be doing the exact same thing for our kids. Um, now, again, my little disclaimer at the bottom is, I don't agree with standardized testing, period. I think we should throw that whole machine away and find a new way to, to assess our kids' abilities to attain and to articulate the learning that they've done. But since that is our metric, I believe that we should go ahead and do it, if for nothing more, to show the, 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 the machine, the, the, the operators, what's going wrong in this state. Because right now our standards, our, our passing rate is always low on our state test. When you look at it as, you know, from a, from a global positioning, it's like, how can you say that achieving 38 or 40% of the knowledge is passing, you know, on a state assessment? Like that doesn't make sense. Where else can you learn 40% of the information and they consider that to be good? I don't want a doctor who made 40% operating on me, you know, so why would we want to move a kid on? So I'm curious to see, what do you all think about that? Like, as far as how that would look uh, for a state testing, do you, are you for it or you think throw it out the window? I mean, for me, I can speak. <clears throat> I, um, I'm kind of like you in the sense of I'm a very anti-state testing kind of person in general and stuff. But for me, when teachers are stressed and they're prepping for this and we're talking about it and people have a lot of big emotions about it and stuff. And um, I kind of chalk it up to, well, I mean, if we have to give it, we have to give it. And let's at least show that it's not like we're not meeting the kids' needs in the sense of academics in this world, in this realm of COVID teaching and stuff like that. And uh, that'll be proof. Like, I feel like it will be a big indicator. I feel like if we have a ton of kids and I mean, your success rates sound really low on your end, like the schools I'm at just happen to be very upper middle class or very high 
class and stuff like that, uh, socioeconomic. So my kids, like they do pass and stuff. Like we have a lot of passing kids and stuff. So it'd be very interesting to see if those kids who for the last four years have been passing and exceeding these tests aren't anymore and stuff. And so it'd be interesting, not that I'm for giving the state test. I could care less. It does. I don't give the state test. It doesn't affect me and in my role and stuff. But at this point, I want to almost be like, let's see, let's see what it looks like. Like, let's see how they do. Like, let's see if there's actually data showing the kids are not learning at the capacity that they were learning or that this is really actually affecting students. And we have a lot more bigger issues and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's kind of my take. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it doesn't affect me a whole lot. And I know special ed testing is very different than standardized state testing. Um, not that special ed testing is not standardized, um, but I know there's a lot more accommodations and supports. And um, I don't want to say teachers are giving students answers, but I know there's more supports when students are answering um, state tests. Again, I'm not saying anything's fishy going on, but I know all of us are trained a little bit differently on how to give a standardized test to a special ed student. Um, so I think, I agree. I think seeing the data would be very interesting. Um, I, I guess my point where I don't agree is I don't think it should be required. Hmm. If the families or the teachers are seeing that their child is severely struggling this year and just can't even keep their head above water, why put that other added stress on them? Um, I think that goes back to prioritizing what is best for this kid. Um, so I think that's my, that's where my. Well, and I, and I love that, that, that point of, and I totally see Lauren's point too, of like, let's show people what's actually really going on. Cause I thought too, to myself, like, there are going to be some bright spots. Like you're going to start to see that there are certain things that we're doing that are working well. But for me, the worry that I have, and, and when I started in Houston with Will, there was a star test. No, sorry. It was, it was called tax. It was called tax. And most of the tests, the kids had like 90 to 95% passing rate. And then all of a sudden they changed the star and the passing rates plummeted. Well, the pass the passing the passing rate stayed pretty eighty five to ninety something percent. But what happened is the passing uh, what was the word I'm looking for standards. The passing standard was Sorry. lowered. Was lowered. It was lowered. So where it was sixty something percent, it got lowered. And I think in sixth grade math, we had one of the lowest numbers at like. 35%. Yeah, 40%. The, eighth, the eighth grade social studies was like 44%. But the thing that worries <laughs> me about Texas is in this new run of star tests, they put in end of course tests for high school kids to get credit. And there's a spot where I'm like, uh-uh, you can't tell me because kids had to pass those tests to get their course credit. And it's the same with me. Like my, my evaluation system is tied to our school's test scores. Now we didn't do the state testing in the spring. So all of the money just kind of went into a pool and it was divvied up between all the teachers that would have gone. But I know there are teachers around that, that their scores are tied to that state testing. So, and you know, there are teacher evals that are tied to it. So I, I, 
I think what everybody said is totally valid. And it, it seems to epitomize this situation that there is no right answer to it. Right there. And it's easy to, it's easy to, to jump to the conclusion that we should just cancel it. It's super easy, but I mean, for me, I'm just thinking about what you said, Heather, of just starting to talk to my kids about it and be like, Hey, you might not do as good as you expect. And you don't have to like freak out. I mean, I, I, how long ago was it, Will, that we started, we, we tried to do a PD with the, the new teachers about how to prepare kids for a standardized test. That was what, five years ago? Yeah. And how do you talk to your kids about just how to, I mean, cause the two of you can attest that kids freak out and they can't even function or think. And that's everyone. Like I went, so now that we live in Minnesota, I had to take a 40 question online test to get my new driver's license. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, taking a driving test, like I'm going to fail this test and I'm not going to get a driver's license. And I can't imagine when you're sitting here saying, I'm a student who has been back and forth for a year. I have no consistency. I've had 17 different teachers. And now you expect me to just sit down and take this test. That just kind of makes me feel like one of the things I want to start doing with my kids is, is not prepping them to content, take the test, but prepping them to just be able to handle the mental stress. Like let's take some deep breaths. Let's, let's chill out in this whole thing. And I think, you know, that's, that's one thing that I, I think a lot of, I, I wish I would start doing more is like, Hey kids, let's just all take a couple of deep breaths. Hey everybody. Just want to take a quick break from this episode of the value adds value podcast to just say thank you um, for listening and for all the support. And if you've listened this far, we would love it. If you could hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, leave a review, or jump over and find us on Instagram at valueaddsvalue at its.will.law.iii and at its Kyle Krieger. Um, we would love to connect with you there, learn more about you and how we can help you in your teaching craft and your teaching practice. So find us on Instagram, like and subscribe, and also take a second to find us on YouTube at value adds value as well. So just a way for us to connect with you, serve you better and help you in this profession that we all love. So thank you. And we'll get back to the episode. And let's just kind of, and, and to be honest, I don't do it in my real life. You know, it's funny. I said the other day that I think that one of the best things that has come out of COVID for education, besides the innovation to push education further and beyond the four walls of the school, uh, but also that component of consistently including social emotional learning. Um, I think that we've gotten away from that because we've become so content, content, content. SEL is not, they're not gonna test a kid on the SEL but the SEL will determine whether or not that kid becomes a, a functional human. So it's like, how do you negate that in lieu of content when, I'm sorry, 
My daughter said it best. She said, Daddy, when I'm 40 years old, am I really going to need to know how to solve a quadratic equation? <laughs> I say, not unless you're an engineer, an architect, or you're, or you're teaching mathematics. That's a reality. And so what we need to focus on and what schools are not, well, I see a lot more doing it now because of trying to combat the PTSD that will come out of this. Can't say might, that will come out of kids being isolated, of kids, you know, one of my kids said the other day, Mr. I just want to hug everybody because I, I, I'm a hugger and I haven't hugged anybody besides my mom and dad in, in months. And I'm sitting there like, oh, you know, I'm a hugger, you know, and my teacher friends know that that's one of the things that I do. I love to hug and to not have that and not be able to experience that, that exchange, that transfer of energy from one to another, that is huge. And if we don't teach kids how to navigate that or how to find alternatives, then, I mean, we're setting ourselves up to, if you think it's bad now, then just wait and see what happens when we get into, you know, 2022, 2023, when these kids are older and they're now trying to navigate in a so-called normal manner post-COVID. I mean, we're, we're ooh, scary. I, I remember the moment. So, so Will came up to our, to our wedding. He was our best man. And he came to my house right before we were going to rehearsal. And my wife was like, is Will going to hug me? And I was like, yeah, he's going to hug you. But you have that moment in your mind where you're like, oh my God, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be hugging people. I should not be hugging people. I shouldn't be hugging people. But you do. And, and thankfully for us, no one, our wedding was not a super spreader. Um, no one had COVID. No one got COVID. But for two weeks after my wedding, I had stress about, oh my God, like, my grandparents were there, my parents, you know, my in-laws were there. It's just like, man, and you, and you think about what our kids going to, our kids are going to have that. Like there are going to be kids. I, I will say with the vaccines coming out, I am hopeful that I'll be back in a classroom in the fall. I, I actually, for the first time, really have hope, but there are going to be kids that when they come back in the fall are going to have stress level 47. Mm -hmm. and and just already starting to think about how do we how do we start to combat that how do we start to like and and one thing Wilkie and I've been talking about as we've ended the year is like really trying to think big picture and start to ask like some bigger questions and that's a question that I think is probably going to be a through line of the podcast this whole year is how do we try to anticipate and mitigate those stresses that kids are going to have. And like, well, you said, it's not, it's not going to magically change when we go back. It just isn't. Yeah. We have to restart over making school a safe place. Almost like teaching kindergarten again, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> with those yeah. parents dropping the kids off and the kids are just bawling because <laughs> they're afraid of going into the classroom. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to happen, but it's going to be, different kids at each level that's going to have that experience I mean, I mean just thinking about trying to have spots in my classroom where kids who don't want to sit next to anyone can sit mm. and you know just teaching middle school i'm thinking about myself okay now you have the kid who doesn't want to be touched and everybody knows they don't want to be touched so then they get hassled 
the whole day. Mm-hmm. And I, I just can't stop thinking about that situation at your school, Lauren, and <laughs> little kids beating up other little kids because their parents. That just. I know it's so terrible. And I was going to say, just kind of to piggyback all, off of all of this is a lot of things I work on with students in my role. And I obviously am an SEL specialist. So it's kind of the beauty of my role is I have the ability to do so. But honestly, I, I talk to kids who have these really big emotions about everything we're talking about, these big stresses, these, I, I'm, I'm like, well, I want to hug people. Like I can't and stuff like that. I just have so much um, anxiety about certain things that just as a human, we just naturally do or want to do and stuff. And a lot of kids are at the point when I talk to them and they have these really big emotions and they're breaking down and they just are like, I just, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, honestly, like there's nothing wrong if you want to hug people. I mean, yes, in this world, it seems wrong, but there's nothing (laughs) wrong. But like it, these kids now have this almost like idea that these natural things that we do to show love and affection are are wrong. And they feel really bad about having these feelings about wanting to do stuff like that with their friends or their, their cousins or stuff like that. And I have to remind kids like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to be, it's okay to be like that. It's okay. But they think now there's something wrong with them and it it breaks my heart. And another thing too, is kind of on the isolation factor and stuff is like, Will was saying like, what's it going to look like in two years and stuff like every I have so many kids who literally they come to my office hours. Like I started hosting office hours just to play online checkers with kids, like just to talk to kids because they're so alone and they feel so alone Mm -hmm. and they're struggling and they are so sad. And it literally breaks my heart when I have kids emailing me and I don't have enough spots in my office hours to like play online checkers with people or just to talk and see their dog or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. Like they just want to show someone their new move that they would have showed them on the playground, but we don't have playground time anymore. So they can't show them their cartwheels. So they're taking their computer outside and watching kids do cartwheels in their backyard because they just want to show someone something. And mm-hmm. I've that, I'm now that person and stuff. And it's heartbreaking. It literally breaks my heart. Yeah. I do the exact same thing. There's a couple times during the week where I'm like, I can tell these kids just want to talk. They just want to show off their toys um, or their dog or what they ate for lunch or whatever it is. And like we do. And I, there's a part of me that feels bad to do that. And that's so terrible. But like, I think teachers are now kind of forced to do the content all the time you know we have less time in the day there's more stress going on we need to make sure these kids keep up with the content the content the content and uh there are some times where i just sit there with the parents and the students and i say we're gonna talk for the next 30 minutes whatever you want to tell me whatever you want to share with the class we're gonna do it you know you want to show me your dog you want to show me your cat you want to show me whatever i'm here you know we're not going to do math today this is what we're doing instead. And I think I almost feel like parents are judging because they're like, wait, this is math time. Why are you doing? And they're not, but it seems, I almost feel bad about it. Like I I do. And I'm like, is this really more important right now? Yes, it definitely is. I need to take more time to do that. Um, And there's a time on my Fridays and it's, I don't want it to seem like a reward like we're gonna have this free time where we'll play games or we'll do hidden pictures on highlights or whatever it is um but that that interaction that students aren't getting anymore with their friends or their peers they're not they're getting their siblings and their parents 
that's all they really got. So the time that we have online, it's something, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to find creative escape rooms or something else to do where we have to work cooperatively, um, where it's more fun. It's leisure. It's a play date, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the students are definitely missing that interaction with their friends. Mm. Oh, I could, oh, I could sit here with the two of you the whole day and not do anything else. But we, we know that both you have commitments. So I think we, I think there's just so much more that I want to dive in with you guys on. So I'm available if you want to keep going. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I think you know, maybe, and I, go ahead. No, no, you go. No, I was going to say that I think it's, we're talking about something that, and we really didn't touch on it a lot, but I want us to really, our listeners, I want them to understand that for every teacher who's teaching a gen ed teacher, who's teaching and virtually, and they feel like they're struggling with their kids, to understand that our special pops, is that times 100. And, and I don't know if our policymakers are not seeing that, you know, they were already underserved in the classroom. And now you have a population of teachers who are going, I mean, regular teachers are going above and beyond. Our SPED teachers have to go from infinity and beyond, you know, they really got a buzz light year that thing to Mars really fast because just of the nature of what they have to do to accommodate their kids. And, you know, I hope our listeners from this, just if nothing more, get some type of support to know that you're not alone in this. Uh, know that there are places where you can express yourself. You can use your voice. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to start doing and a friend of mine told me this the other day is that when we have conversations like this, tag the education department when we post it, put it on their radar so that they can actually start listening to the voice of the boots on the ground in the classroom so that they can actually start hearing what teachers are saying about the situations they're teaching in. So that when you make these decisions, you can at least if nothing, nothing else, put a face or a voice to the person that you're making these decisions for. And that, like I say, right now, like I say with with everything going on, we're not doing that. You know, everything's supposed to be in the best interest of our kids, and it's not. It's not. You know, if you, I was always taught when you're making decisions for the whole, you first make decisions for the least. And that's where you start making your decisions from. And I don't think we did that. I think we started in the middle ground. Actually, we really probably started at the top, thinking that our kids are digital learners and everybody's going to easily adapt to this, and they're not. That, and, that, that, and it it just like Lauren's situation is the epitome of that that the people at the highest levels expect that they're going to be catered to and that they are just somehow deserving of everything that they want and everything it's just like so and you know what and it happens everywhere it's the way it's the way the education system was built. It was built. I mean, how long was it before people without me, you know, like thousands of years, people didn't get education unless they were wealthy. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and to see that it's still maybe, I mean, and I don't want to say that it takes place as much because we are doing way better to serve our underprivileged populations, but that, that residual effect is still there. And that situation you described, Lauren, is the epitome of it. So, Will, any last questions we want to ask before? I, I would love this to be a more recurring podcast feature of our show. Um, anything else? No, I, I'm, I'm good. I just want to thank you guys for taking the time um, yeah. again, especially to come together. Uh, and we got to make it happen to where we can all get to face to face. Yes. Uh, once you know all the COVID restrictions and everything is released, I know Chicago. Y'all went on a lockdown for a while, right? Did yeah. y'all recently go on a lockdown? Um, I think that's more Chicago public schools. Um, but I'm not in that realm. I'm in the suburbs. Okay. Yeah, I have I have friends that live downtown Chicago, and basically <laughs> everything there is it's closed. Is closed. closed. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, so. And I think, I think the thing with this is too, I've got so much I've got to, to wrap my head around from what you've said already that I don't know that I could put any more information in. So for, for the listeners that want to connect with you, and, and like I said, it, the one thing I will say that we got to keep doing is, is really starting to do, and we talked about this, do some podcasts for parents. Do some mm -hmm. podcasts that are generally just for kids to, to talk about these skills. So I think I, not I think I know I'll be reaching out to the two of you to kind of workshop what you think that should look like. Um, but for the teachers that want to connect with the two of you, you know, just, and, and maybe get to know you a little better or ask you questions, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, you can find me. I am at structured special ed on everywhere. Pretty much find me on Instagram though and stuff like that. And I uh, just want to say thanks for having me on today, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. And then if you want to find me, Heather, I am full sped ahead. I have a website, Instagram, Facebook, um, teachers pay teachers page. You can email me Heather at fullspedahead.com. Awesome. Well, ladies, we hope you enjoy the rest of your break and we hope to be talking with you again real soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks.